Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. Lance, luxury division uh, of Pella Psycho is here. I do not have... Yep, I think mine's in the wash, so I apologize for that. Uh, but before we get into a what I think is a jam-packed episode, I want to talk about a couple of things. The first thing is if you ever want to transition from just being an architect to managing, doing the construction management, to being a contractor for your projects that you kind of have in your wheelhouse, there's about five meetings that you need to schedule with yourself to figure out. This is all in our guide, architectsguide2.com, architectsguide2.com. It's our Architects to Builder course, but I want to give you a brief overview of kind of the meetings that you need to set up, and it goes more in depth in the course. But first is you need to set up on your calendar, block an hour out to get yourself a testing plan. What tests do you need to do? What materials do you need to buy? And when are you going to study and how do you schedule that out? Second, schedule a meeting to start your sub list. Mm. Who are the subs that you know? Who are the subs that you need? How can you start to get them, right? Uh, meeting number three with yourself is set that time, put it in your calendar. What insurance do you need? Who do you need to set up an actual business? Do you need you know, your state license, your, uh, your tax stuff? If you need to make basically a, a bank account for it, what do you need to do? Get all that or, in order. And then just two more after you actually set up those meetings and execute on the plans that you made in those meetings, then pick a project. You might have one in line that you want to have that conversation with the client about. Would they, would they like you to bid out their project? Um, after you get to go on that, your fifth and final one is basically scheduling a pre-construction meeting. And that is you got all your subs in place. You got everything, uh, uh, you're getting your timelines in place, get the major subs involved, go over your scope, go over what you're doing, go over handoffs, and you're literally ready to get started. That was a brief overview. Um, there's more in the course, but just wanted to give you that kind of insight. Yeah, go check that out. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by ArcCat. As more businesses and tenants demand green design in their building, LEED certification is more important than ever. And while ArcCat is known for being red, they can help you go green. ArcCat provides thousands of lead reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help you make the green choice that's right for your project. Head over to ArcCat.com and find the information you need for lead. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Check those guys out today. <clears throat> this episode, as Alex was also mentioned earlier, is also brought to you by Pella Luxury. Last but certainly not least, Pella Luxury dot com forward slash the firm uh big sponsor of this firm you have never or this episode this podcast you have never experienced a brand like this before the collection of brands within the luxury division of pella are the conversation starters the pioneers of the industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects the building industry and beyond they have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating and the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another 
They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. So go head on over to Pelluxury.com. Explore that explore that website, Pelluxury.com forward slash the firm today. Back to you, Mr. Gore. Awesome. So Lance and I have been talking about for weeks, months, even longer than that, the housing crisis, crisis housing prices, and all that. Uh, you're going to put this video in there because you, you have it, right? Uh, but I can play it. Uh, this... I think somehow I got it through them. I think they commented that. In the Raleigh area, and as you can see, there are just cars upon cars upon cars, and there are a ton of people that are trying to see this home. This is absolutely ridiculous. We have got to get control over these prices and the housing inventory. Absolutely crazy. Control over these house prices. So, what the fuck does that even mean? I don't know. like it's in like marathon, marathon. Yeah. every movie i like that they're all up too yeah gotta get control on those housing prices al i don't even know what that means i don't think most people know what that means <laughs> okay. i think they just want housing prices to be not going anywhere that they want and going crazy yeah yeah um one thing i heard i don't know how, how true this is but Everyone that's excited about your housing prices going up, they said, hey, don't be too enthusiastic. It's not your housing price going up. It's the value of the dollar going right. down. Yeah. Any, that's, that whole video was just proof of, of what's happening, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. I actually sent that to my wife this morning as I was kind of reviewing before we started the podcast today. And uh, she was, so I'm interested to see what she says, but I've never seen, I've never seen like a demand, but it makes sense. Like there's always these psychological numbers that people need in their, that that make them give them sort of some semblance of uh, comfort. I remember back in the day when we first started the firm, it was like, can I get this edition done for a hundred K now it's moved to 200 K. Yep. Can I buy, um, I wanted to buy my first house under 200 K. I don't know what kind of, you know, and then everybody has like, how about a million dollars? Like, oh, I can't wait to be a millionaire. Well, it's probably two million now. Yeah. The, honestly, one of the first houses that I was looking at, which was a good house, I think it has three bedrooms, at least two baths, um, almost uh, Frank Lloyd Wright style. I don't know if I you ever remember that house. It was going for 140 and someone paid cash 180 for it. And I was like, that's not. I remember that. That's not. And like, it's probably worth. 350400 now which which is crazy to think about. Um one other thing I wanted to show you. Uh Lance, you know how like 
sometimes sometimes I have to tell you you're being crazy. Sure. Um, or sometimes you have to tell me like, don't do that. Do it this way. I want to be a friend to everyone and tell everyone uh, our money supply system and and debt has gone off the rails. No in, way. In case people did not know. No way. There's a graph. If you are uh, on YouTube, you can see it. I feel like this will be in history books. And I feel like in hindsight, it will be t- so obvious to every eighth grade history person, you know, like 30 years from now. <laughs> and it's basically a federal surplus or deficit. And there's a black line that's zero and then a, a red line that's going up and down. And basically until about 1970, it was just hovering really about that line. And right after 1970, is that probably when we went off the gold standard? 1971. Okay. So literally right there. And I said that with no enthusiasm because I'm like, I'm so tired of saying it. Yeah. It's like somebody listened to me. It, it, it started to go down. <clears throat> in the 80s, it started to go down. No big deal. And then in, in the uh, 90s, it started to go down. And then all of a sudden, it shot back up and it went pass and all of a sudden we had a surplus and not a deficit so it's almost like we we saved we saved it right and what happened for people who don't know was bill clinton was uh the democratic president and republicans when there's a democratic president pull the same tricks that we wish they would pull when they were in office at least myself is we can't spend money we need to trim the government Mm -hmm. and every time they're in office they don't say that but when they're not in office, they do that. So that's what happened. And basically, up until the 2001 crash, we had a surplus. And then it just went down. And then the 2000, then it started to rebound a little bit. Then 2008 happened and it went down. And then we started literally coming back out of it. And this negative downturn is so out of proportion with everything else in history yeah. that it's shocking. It is literally shocking what this chart is doing. And anyone in the future, when the, again, in this history class, be like, oh, yeah, they thought that this was stable. Like, of course, things are going to collapse and go like you can't have that graph. Like, it's almost like a heartbeat graph. Like, oh, you're in the line. Oh, everything's normal. And boom, 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 going all over the place. That's never a good sign. Never a good sign. And what I want to tell you is that we've met with the quote unquote adults in the room and they are not planning on fixing it. They are not planning. Like there is no plan that's credible. No no plan that they are actually going to vote for that's going to fix it. Okay. Uh, but 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 now I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Yep. Do you think it's even possible for them to have a plan to fix it? Yes. No. It's completely not possible to have a plan to fix it because <clears throat> the whole system is predicated on the idea of being debt being in debt from the from the minute the first dollar is printed, you can never get out of debt with the current fiat system. That's what I mean. But yes, you're talking about two different things. Oh, okay. Okay, that is true for that. For the government to oh the uh, spending, yeah, the spending. Oh, sure. Yes, the, exactly. So so two different things. That's totally fine. Anyways, um, they are they are driving uh, government spending. Everyone, every side involved. Up, off down, of, left, right. Yep off a cliff and they l- will not take their gas their foot off the pedal yeah they will not because what you'd have to do is somehow over five ten years but probably five to be faster or, or two is oh every agency is cut 20 percent, and you have to do that and no one's going to allow that to happen because they're not adults they're not adults they don't want to make adult decisions yeah they don't want to literally make the hard choices suffer through it 
they're just going to keep doing this. Can you use the screen recording? Yep. Cool. I'll go to Google once. Okay. And type in CBDC. Okay. Hit enter. Okay. What the first link, does it come up? Federal Reserve Board releases discussion paper. Yeah. Click on that. Okay. So uh, this uh, paper was published on uh, January 20th, 2022. And I highly encourage everybody to take a look at this. Uh, so the headline is, I won't go into detail, but I, cause it's, it's just, that's a whole, this is a whole nother discussion, but I think it's worth it. I've been on this, uh, ki- this and not a kick, but I've been just like drilling down on what's next and trying to understand what's next because I think that's part of the deal here. It's like Alex said, Alex said they won't solve the problem. His problem, in spe- uh, his problem he identified specifically to the spending. And I, I, I incorrectly thought it was the same thing as the money, but to the money, with the same sort of problem, you can't fix it. This is the solution I think that I think that's on the horizon. So the press release is from the Fed. It's literally from the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. So the private banking cartel that issues all the fiat currency in the United States. Press release January 20th, 2022. Federal Reserve Board releases a discussion paper that examines pros and cons of a potential U.S. Bank, central bank digital currency, a.k.a. CBDC. Highly recommend everybody take a look at that. And then honestly, go to YouTube if you have a chance and see what you can find about people dissecting it. What I would be looking for when you're looking on YouTube is anybody who is also a crypt, uh, a Bitcoin um, maximalist um, or even they could be like a gold or a silver maximalist, just basically a competing currency maximalist and see what they have to say about this CBDC and how dangerous it is potentially for, for everybody in terms of like the control. But this is what I think the solution will be to the the massive amount of debt is like, we're just going to pretend like it doesn't exist. Here's a new currency. Right. But so that has worked in the past. Different countries in South America have done that. Weimar, Ger- Germany. Well, Germany in 1920 did that basically when uh, their, their dollar, whatever it was called, uh, went up trillions of dollars, literally trillions. And then they brought in a new one and they pegged it to the dollar. What are they going to peg this to? You're going to peg it to the one that no one that you're trying to get rid of? That's the gamble. And it's all going to be based on, uh, well, right now it's based on the threat of violence, right? I mean, the military is the only thing really propping the whole thing up. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that it's like, I'm telling you, I have been last two days just been like, I can't learn enough about the CBDC. And every single thing always comes down to money. The whole thing comes down to money. Um, one other recommendation I'll give is some homework for the weekend. I want you to do, there's two different ways. So you've heard us sort of trying to forecast about, um, if there's going to be a possible downturn coming, I'm still of the opinion that there is a possible downturn coming. And there's, there's two videos I think you should seek out or just like some knowledge you should take a look at. And uh, so if you go to YouTube, there's some really good, um, excerpts of this or or the people taking it down look up uh the forgotten depression of 1920 and then right after that watch the german hyperinflation history it'll take you a half hour but what is so interesting about this and the reason the reason i actually watched these this last week is my youngest child was is she came back we're sitting around dinner i'm like what are you learning in history because that's her favorite class she goes oh we're learning about the great depression and i go oh did they tell you about the uh the forgotten depression she goes what and I go, all right, after supper, it looks like it's a little supplemental education time. I would challenge everybody to look at both ways both those depressions were handled and understand 
the positives and negatives of each of them and then make for a judgment call for yourself of like, because they're literally polar opposites. Which, which, uh, which reaction by the government was the best solution to try to pull us out of a depression slash recession, especially if we're headed towards another one next? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, on both sides in the 20s, the early 20s, they did the opposite of what they did in the late 20s. Correct. It's such a fascinating <laughs> thing. And I even brought it up in the Entree Architect community just, just to want somebody who was t- talking to me in there because um, we were expressing concerns about the debt. Well, it actually came from, uh, um, I was I said uh, in Colorado, we're saying that uh, we're telling it, we're advising clients right now, hey, minimum of $325 a square foot is what you need to budget for your house, especially if it's in the mountains. Uh, the budget came back for this particular one actually at 4.07 this morning. But um, I was asking everybody else around the nation, like, hey, what do you, you know, I just asked generally, and then people were shouting off like in Raleigh, it's this much or uh, wherever else, New York, it's this much and stuff. And then we got to talking and everybody's just blown away about all the increase in prices and this like, and then somebody else is like, well, what's going to happen? Like what goes up? And I'm like, exactly. So what goes up, right? Must come down. Essentially it's physics. So like, okay, now if you've never heard about this, like check out the forgotten depression. It is utterly fascinating because like the history books do not typically teach it. And it's a real event with real presidents. Like it happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, very, very, very interesting. Um, okay, let's let's transition hard transition into NCARB. NCARB. So I'm gonna record. So on YouTube, if you want to view it, you can. Awesome. It's their annual report. And help guide me as if I'm a YouTube viewer. Like, what page should I? We should we go to? Okay, let's go to page twelve. Okay, go Are into you? page twelve. Yep. Um, one thing I wanted to bring uh, attention to. Oops. Here we go. And NCARB, National Council of Architectural Registration Boards. Yep. Uh, IPAL. I forgot about this. I don't even know what this is. They are doing it. So it is an integrated path to architecture license. Something that we, that a lot of people have thought should happen, just like doctors, just like lawyers, is basically when you're done with schooling, you have your architecture license. What? Now, being in practice for a while... I understand the I the pushback from it and the pushback is you will not know how to be an architect even if you pass. This. And I'm looking at on the on the screen here my Al's is probably the same but like there's a map of the United States looks like there's 24 schools that are offering this. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Some 600 students, right? So like I could go to example Ball State. Yep. For how many years? Like 6 years and then I can I take my test afterwards? You can take your test what right the away. heck? Seriously. Yep. But you still need to get your hours. So I think oh, that... Oh, that's hard. That's right. hard. No, 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 no. But I'll tell you why I like it. If you still got to get your hours, it means you still have to get your experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm but, okay with that. I'm just saying school and that, that seems hard. Right. Okay. Right. The reason I like it, though, is I hope this puts some pressure on NCARB. Nice. And do you see, like, why it would put pressure on NCARB? Well, it's competition. Nope. It, no? It's through NCARB. Oh, Think about the like I always use the army for example. Yeah, but, but it's in, it's well it's competition because it's a different route, right? Yeah. Okay. Think it, think if you're in the army or you're in school and you pay, you pay your teacher. You literally like just like school. You I don't know what it is a credit like a thousand fifteen hundred dollars per class. Let's just say it's fifteen hundred dollars per class. Something right? like that per credit. Yeah. Yep. So you are paying the school right fifteen hundred. Per class, and just think about it. If it's a normal class, right? And it's it's uh, not um, it's uh, 
practice. It's called architectural practice, right? And everyone in this class, let's say it's a third year class, like just, just like us, you have to apply to get into college. Then you have to get through the gauntlet to get into architecture school. And you're making probably A's or B's. You can't get below a C in most architecture programs, right? So you're doing just fine. Some classes you might not do the best at, but like generally you're an intelligent person getting things done. What if the pass rate for that one class was 50%? I wouldn't, uh, that doesn't seem correct. I would say, right? Something seems wrong. Something seems off. How about that? Something seems off. And we have to dissect what's off. One is, are all these students idiots? Then it's like, well, then what is your college doing? Like, why are you in here, right? Is everyone an idiot? Okay, let's just say we've figured out that everyone's not, not an idiot. Professor, did you not teach us? If we're not idiots, what we were supposed to know? Like, did you teach us something that wasn't on the test? Did you lead us down a wrong place? Did you not give us the resources? Like, if I'm paying $2,000, $1,500, and you give me all the wrong information and then fail me, I'm it gonna seems be like upset. fraud. Is that the word I'm looking for? Fraud or upset? <laughs> like you, you should be upset. <laughs> the scenario you're describing is so crazy, and the way you're framing it, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're. I know. Like I'm just saying, I was kind of at a loss for a description. Well, this has happened, Lance. We have had to take over a class in a university because their teacher was teaching them a program, and all the students revolted because the teacher didn't know what they were doing. Like this is nonsense. I forgot about that nuance. This I is, forgot about that nuance. Yep. The students knew this was nonsense. This teacher does not know what they're doing. What are we like? We are all going to quit this class. I and totally protest, forgot about right? that. So this is what I'm saying that <clears throat> the NCARB might get feedback from because now their excuse is like, oh, study harder. Oh, you're not looking at the material. Wait, wait. I paid. I sit in class. I do the homework. I do exactly what you say. And I understand that the fail rate's not, I mean, the pass rate's not going to be 100%. Yeah. But you're telling us 50%? 50% when this doesn't happen anywhere else? So I like this because, I'll get to this later, I don't think the tests really teach you what you need to know. I think there's some useful stuff. I think it's good to go through. I think they really need to focus it and make it actually useful rather than just literally a shotgun approach to you need to know all this knowledge based on all of these committees that put in all of their different interests and somehow you have to know from all these committees and all these interests, all this stuff. It's nonsense. It is utterly nonsense. I'm telling you, if I am not clear, the tests are nonsense. <laughs> okay? <laughs> By the way, number one episode last year was uh, Vice President of NCARB. Yep. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> um, this isn't my fight. I've already passed all that other stuff. You should go back but, and listen to that uh, episode if you haven't. <laughs> Keep going out. It, it, my fight is is honestly for the profession. Yes. Make I the want profession the profession better. to be better. Because I like I think people who are in the profession in in the trenches. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of having to educate clients about what we do? Aren't you tired of having to uh constantly like be annoyed or, or angry at like and maybe you aren't but just let's say you are uh of like oh my god the realtor makes six percent and i'm making one percent the contractor's making 18 and 24 percent and i'm only making two percent by the way to go to architectsguide2.com if you want to solve that problem you know what i'm saying yes yep um it's but i am excited <laughs> about the progress here like i'm excited that schools are doing this i think that they i think need it's a exciting feedback 
I think they need a feedback loop. I yeah. think they've been getting away way too long yeah. without a feedback loop yeah. because they've always had convenient excuses. Um, and these excuses aren't based on reality or a real feedback loop. So I hope this helps. I think it's the way if to go. If, I think if you're taking tests, you should take tests while you're taking tests, which is while you're in school. You should get experience yes. while you're getting experience out of there. I think it's all good. I just... And if you are a student, I would highly encourage you, if you are part of like your local, uh, some kind of a student group, re- you know, regarding architecture, it doesn't matter which one. I know there's a bunch of different ones. Like maybe you should be petitioning your school to look into this and, and forming a committee and, and helping out with that. Maybe it doesn't even happen during your five, six, seven, eight years that you're there. But you are, you are adding and helping and the profession just the same way we are by being here every week with with advice and topics and, and thoughts and all of that like we all need to hopefully work together this is a good idea i don't see how this would be this is a bad idea yep i would just say if your students listening be aware of what's happening and and hold like hold their feet to the fire like uh, yeah it, hold their but, feet to the fire yeah, and, sure. and maybe honestly what, what if like this sort of structured approach does work out and now 80 percent of people pass like okay I'm okay with high, hard standards, like 20% of you, you got to do it again or work harder or because some people slack off in school and they don't really study and they expect just good grades. Well, I'm okay with saying, nope, you ain't going to get it. You ain't going to get it. Um, Okay. Page 30. Moving to page 30. Go ahead. And all I'm doing is hitting the highlights of this review. Um, There's a whole bunch into it. Just stuff that stood out to me. Uh, One thing is uh, by the numbers, uh, COVID led to a decline. In in testing in um, fewer candidates on the path to life. Jeez. And some of these numbers are nuts. Like fewer candidates, thirty three percent fewer, 40 percent fewer new architects. My goodness, that's yeah. terrible. Yep, exactly. Um, go to page thirty two. Uh, heading to thirty two. Yep. Yep. Uh, this stood out to me. Performance by demographics. Um, are you at the bottom in the middle? No, at the top. At the top. Key findings. Oh, I see. Um, and then they go into, they like, I'm giving them credit. Then they went and looked into why. So here's just some key into, findings. Into why? Yep, yep. White candidates are much more likely to pass the area than colored candidates. Okay. Men are more likely to pass than women. If you would have asked me, I actually would have bet on the other one. I would have said, you know. I would have too. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. As far yeah. as, so just to clarify. Men versus women. I would have said women. That's just yeah, to put it on record. Yeah. I would have said women would have done better. Younger candidates have a higher pass rate. So these were their key findings, right? Now, if you go down to 33. Interesting. Then they looked into it. And here's a couple points. Oh, interesting. Yep. Uh, when respondents are segmented by race or ethnicity, the largest disparities are seen in the variety of experience, opportunities provided, and superior support. So that's what's saying like um, it was white students are more likely to pass if if a lot of people fail these tests. And it seems like a big factor of that experience opportunities. So maybe being in different experience and having different opportunities and having supervisory support. So here's another one. African-American women are consistently less likely to report having a positive superior relationship Hmm. than respondents from. So that matters. So like, it's not just a blanket thing. Like, here's the problem. Here's some targeted actions that people can take. You find a great owner. Yep. Mm -hmm. Find a great mentor and try to get those experiences. Yeah. Um, 
White candidates are, this is on the next page, take slightly longer to complete the experience requirements huh. than candidates of other races or ethnicities, but they are still younger when they start. So there is this youngness too, and that goes back to taking it in college. And I also think too, this semi reinforces my point, like the more experiences you have, you might be less likely to pass this test because you honestly know too much. Like they're asking you, you a question. Maybe you overthink it. You overthink it. Be like, what's the context? What's the scenario? What like, what? You're giving me one answer when literally I could justify because I have all this experience. Why you might use four different things, you know? Um, so that's why I think experience matters a lot. Getting in a firm matters a lot. And if you're gonna take a test where experience doesn't help you, you might as well take it as young as you can, right? Yeah. Just another thought. Um, okay. So go to page 55. 55. Some of these are fascinating. I know. Huh. Okay. This is treasurer report. So Lance and I are into financials. You know, we rail on stuff like this. If you go to page 57, actually, oh. um, income to expenses, income 33.1 million, expenses 30.1 million. So they are actually, that's about 10%. They're doing things right. $3 million might seem like. And carb is? Yeah. That's how much they're bringing in? Yeah. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Three million might seem like a lot of profit, which it is just dollars to hand out. Um, but like 10% is not a big margin. Like that's... That's where you want to be as a service-based business. Because... I think minimum. Because as things fluctuate, what if you're off estimating by 10%? Like now you're at zero. Now you're at negative 10. Like, ooh, that now you lose $3 million? Yeah. So um, seems like they're running their business okay. Then they said to justify this $3 million, NCARB invested $1.6 million into direct benefit of licensure candidates. So they gave $900,000 to cover fees, $165,000 to develop an online uh, exam, blah, blah, blah. They're still doing just fine. Like that doesn't come out of their profit. They're yeah. just trying to make you, you know, feel better. Um, 58 Here's what kind of hit me, which is interesting. They have $25.8 million in strategic reserves. That seems like a lot. That's a year worth of revenue almost. Yeah. Huh. I would think three to four months. They have a year. Maybe they know something. I don't know. Yeah. Right? That seems a little bit high. How hard can it be to... I'm so serious. Like, how hard can it be to operate this whole thing? I don't know. NCARB's... Like, do they have a giant building and are they paying rent? Like, what's the overhead... I don't know. Okay. It takes, well, apparently they spent $30 million a year on it. That's a lot. All right. Yep. Um, so they have a healthy strategic return uh, reserves. That seems kind of high to me. Um, they're using, they've used 625000 out of the $25 million. Um, they give some things. One is to create digital curriculum for uh, professional practice professors. I guess that's hard. like, okay. I think they should really streamline and focus. Um, but anyways, that's a financial report yeah. that they laid out. And then the last thing. 173. Oops. I see that right. Okay. Yeah. Is, is that where? Yep. 173. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's got, yeah. Pulling it up. It's uh, so the strategic plan. <laughs> the strategic plan. Okay. Uh, their strategic plan is utterly nonsense. It's a bunch of corporate speak. Um, if you've ever, I, I follow a lot of business people. They talk about how to make strategic plans. The best example of how to make strategic plans, Lance, is we are, I'll give an NCARB example. I'll make one up. <clears throat> we are going to increase the pass rate by 2020, by 
20% by 2025. Like we're going to do this by this much at this date, right? Now everyone has a goal and it, it isn't just like making it easier. It might be focusing. It might be uh, getting more people out there to teach people, whatever it has to be. But yep. like, here's our strategic plan. By 2025, we are going to increase the pass rate by 25% in each category. What they have is uh, facilitate licensure, foster collaboration, maximize value. Every bad example I've seen oh, in every no. business it's book just, I've it's used. It's just big business like speak or yeah. something like that. Then they have levels we're going to enhance. By how much? Grow. By how much? Transform. By how much? Like, this is all gobbledygook. This is all the, out of every person that teaches business, this is what they used to say, this is nonsense. This is a strategic plan by committee that means nothing, that is going nowhere. Um, so, though, like, I want to bring that up, too, just because these are these are, like, the major highlights of this when I reviewed it. Uh, going going through. I'm happy they publish it. I think it's interesting to our whole profession. Yeah, thank you for doing that, Encarb. Yeah. Um, I just wish they'd be a little bit more focused on their strategic plan. Don't we all, Al Gore? Don't we all? Uh, I'm going to skip this non-compete thing. I think we can move that to a different episode. Um, but I wanted to talk about my big topic of today was, and the title of this episode is, How to Deal with the Design Committees. If you had to guess out, what do you think my opinion is of how to design, how to deal with design committees? Get off the gold standard? <laughs> you mean get on the gold standard? Get on the gold standard. Sorry. Some kind of freaking standard would be yeah. good. My answer is, that is, it? is that my answer is avoid them. Ah. And so big learning lesson for me this week. Uh, for new listeners, uh, if you're just joining... Al and I have been uh, doing this for about 13 years now. Um, we started the firm in about 2009, uh, give or take a couple months, depending on when Al got here, but whatever. And uh, <clears throat> we've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And one of the lessons that I'm learning that I learned this week was I is design committees. It is and what do I mean by that? Okay, let's just take a single family house. Let's say let's say you're approached by a client. They just bought a raw piece of land and uh, They've never worked with an architect before. You need to, uh, I think it's appropriate to ask, especially this particular kind of a client who bought a piece of raw land and they have a realtor on board. Who, who are, who's going to be the player? Who's going to be in on the meetings? Is it, uh, is it, are the meetings going to be exclusive to me and you owner and architect? Or are we going to try to, are like, is there any reason at all that you would want to involve your realtor? If they want to involve the realtor in the meetings for a single family house specifically, walk either walk away or double your fees or something like that or exclude them from the meetings in the contract because I think it, it for me it has been a nightmare and it's pretty basically like soured the relationship so far. So um, I asked this question in the Entree Architect community and everybody most people came back and you know like uh, one person said you should be asked to be involved in the sales negotiation meetings because you know. We're all experts about something around here. And I actually asked, I actually talked to uh, the owners about it and I kind of threw that back at them and I said like, look, I'm not asking to see the sales contract. Like this is just out of bounds, this whole thing. Um, so I just wanted to kind of touch on that. Like I don't, where I do think a realtor, it's acceptable for them to be involved in the design process is like if you're working with a developer, this makes all kinds of sense actually. And I've done, we've done that before too. Because like at the end, 
it just makes sense. And it's, it's a whole different animal than a custom house. I mean, the emotion's kind of taken out of the whole thing because it's a commercial development. Yep. It's all about being able to lease or sell the units. And it and all you got to do is typically, let's say you're doing a townhome project and there's like, it's a, it's a sevenplex. And they're all the same floor plans except slightly tweaked on the ends or whatever, you know. All you got to do is get through that one floor plan with everybody involved with the design committee. That's, you can do it. Then you got to repeat and then you're done. Know why I think it's so different on those different scales? Because it comes down to who is, even even in those big projects, you're still not designing by committee, right? Committees make nonsense solution. Think about designing a hammer by committee. Like, oh, some, it needs to be a screwdriver. Oh, it needs to have this. It needs to have this. You're going to have a bad solution, right? And the trade-off, the trade-offs aren't work it, worth it. Because if you were just designing a hammer with experience, right? You might miss something that me and 10 other people might see, Right? But you'd still make a great hammer and still be good. If you had to pay attention to all of us, you would have to add in all these other things that made the one thing that you miss even worse because you had you had to involve all these other things, right? So it doesn't work. <clears throat> so on a small scale, the decision makers, the biggest committee you have is the owners and you. And you are actually the one making most of the decisions because you're the quote unquote expert, right? And you're trying to guide them in a big multi multi-family, multi-mixed use project. The difference is the owner is actually the executive decision maker and, and actually has the experience to make those decisions. So on a low level, when it's you, the owner, the real estate agent, the mother, the brother, and some other random person, that owner doesn't have enough knowledge to say, we're doing this and not this. They want everything to happen. Everyone has a good idea. Let's just integrate them and make it work. When you are doing a huge project, either the architect or the developer will know enough, be like, hey, this is great. I appreciate your idea. Appreciate your idea. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're doing that. So it, um, do you see the difference? Like, even though there is a committee at that other level, there's, there's still an executive decision maker that's informed where on the lower level, you can't have everyone at the same level and the executive decision maker be a not informed person, which is your typical homeowner. No offense. That just happened. There's a, there's a, uh, one of my favorite philosophers is Curtis Yarbin and he argues for uh, uh, like absolute monarchy. So, and I know that's pretty shocking to hear whatever, but like the analogy he always makes is a business. He's like, think about, think about if you own a restaurant and there's one owner, like that's a monarchy. And if it's run well, it's probably run well because it can come from like sort of this top down, you know, or run poorly because it, yeah, but I get what you're saying. But the feedback loop is instant then. Yeah. And then the nimbleness is there. That, that's the, that's all, that's the only reason I bring them up is just, just to kind of make that analogy. Yep. So when it comes to the design committees, it's exactly the same thing. It's like how many cooks in the kitchen and, and aren't you the trained architect who's been there for 10,000 hours plus you, 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 you can foresee if you make one big wall change and move it in two feet, what's the whole ripple effect. Whereas, whereas everybody else can't. So if I, I just, just make sure you guys are vetting your clients. I need to do a better job. Apparently um, vetting my clients, um, even on my end of just like reminding myself, like ask more questions, who's all going to be de- de- you know involved in the design process, um, from the get going and really understand that. Yep. Well, with that, we're in a day of hard transitions. <laughs> uh, do we have a read? 
We have no read from Nick. I said, hey, Nick, we need two reads. One for this week, one for next week. Dealer's choice. And uh, he came up short. Yep. <laughs> That's all we'll say. That's all we'll say. Well, that, let's bring in the team for ARE Jeopardy. Let's go. According to the International Fire Code 2018 and 2021, uh, how many residential units trigger a second vehicle access in a development? Huh. Is it A, 25, B, 50, C, 100, or D, 200? Ask your coat, Reba. Your coat knows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hold it up. B, 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 C. Uh, C, 100. Oh, I was going to guess A. Yep. I think people got confused because I used to always say 50. But really? then I looked it up and it was 100. Oh, so, I didn't sorry, know you everyone. say anything, Kay. Yep. Fake news, the fakest. Uh, this is supposed to be bearing walls. Should not offset more than blank depth from the supporting wall below. And if, can you run upstairs and get that booklet that has the flip through of the quick code stuff? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Page five. <clears throat> okay. Bearing walls should not offset more than blank depth from the supporting wall below. Is it A, two feet, B, one foot, C, one joist depth, or C, or that was C, or D, three inches? Bearing wall, offset. Write, write it down so don't lie. Yep, you got page five. I know. Is it A, two feet? Don't let them see. Be sneaky. Uh, A, two feet, B, one foot, C, one joist depth, or D, three inches. Why did you bring that down? You're just going to have them show everybody? Oh, yeah. Show the camera or something? Yep. What do we got? C, C, D, B, C. Uh, C, one joist depth. If anyone looks, the camera probably can't, can't show it. But basically, however uh, deep your joist is, is how far you can offset. Sometimes you have to put blocking under it. Uh, so that's how that works. Now you know. Now you know. Cool. Number three, what is not something worth considering when selecting resource efficient materials? Is it A, recycled content, B, renewable, C, resource efficient, D, price, E, locally sourced? What is not something worth considering when selecting resource efficient materials? A, Recycled content, B, renewable, C, resource efficient, D, price, E, locally sourced. We got C, B, C, A. The correct answer is D, price. Okay. Who cares? This, this is a perfect example of an of a NCAR ARE question. You're being it, green. Is money not a resource? Is capital, is capital... Isn't it called Capital Resource? I don't know. Is it? E was locally sourced. You almost had it. Okay, what do we got for scores? Goose egg two, two. Okay, leader, Reeves. This Reeves is leading. Here we go. Number four. What is not a strategy to reduce water use? A, if it's yellow, let it mellow. B, use drip irrigation system for landscaping. C, Use low flow or waterless toilets. D, use native species and drought tolerant plants. 
E, collect gray water from shower and laundry and reuse to water yard or flush toilets. F, collect rainwater for reuse. <laughs> you can't just look at me like that, Reba. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you are hungry. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> number four, what is not a strategy to reduce water use? A, if it's yellow, let it mellow. B, use drip irrigation system for landscaping. C, use low flow or waterless toilets. D, use native species and drought tolerant plants. E, collect gray water from shower and laundry and reuse for to water yard or flush toilets. F, collect rainwater for reuse. This should it, it's it's obvious once you realize what <sighs> is happening. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Uh, A. F A uh, E. The correct answer is A. Yeah, yeah. That's just. You win, right? Yeah. You got three. Yeah. Where are we going to eat? Where are we going? What's it called? Three hundred. Nice. Haven't been there in yeah. yeah, maybe ever. Okay. Okay. I've rambled enough. In two years, honestly, we haven't been there in two years. Yep. Lance, take us out. Uh, if you like this episode and you're listening terrestrially on the iTunes, please leave us a five-star review. Somebody just left us like our hundredth five-star review, so thank you very much. Be, be, be101. If you're watching on YouTube, please leave us a comment, subscribe, like, and we'll see you next week. Yeehaw. Yeehaw, indeed. Yeehaw. Right now? Yeah, let's go. We went this summer. Are you export there? Are you exporting? I, I export them. I'm going to put them in the folder. Thank you.